So I hope some of you got to see the beautiful rising moon, almost full moon tonight, very exquisite. People see some, see it? You'll see it later as you go out. I was thinking the moon makes a great metaphor for radiant awareness. Shining brightly, casting its light. And there's a quality in the moonlight that's different than sunlight in that it's softer. And um, there's an association with a, a feminine quality in moonlight versus the harshness of sunlight. And speaks, intimates to me a quality I want to speak to tonight, which is um, how this radiant awareness can be flavored. That it's, at times can appear appear or manifest as very clear and open and empty. And other times is suffused with warmth. Just like the moonlight has a softness to it. Uh, Awareness and presence can be imbued with love. Ultimately, they're not separate. That the attention that we bring to things, the awareness that we cultivate, has within it love. And I would say, in a mature, ripe, full expression of this practice, that we live with an embodied loving presence. We live with a compassionate awareness, kind-hearted attention. That these two very important qualities, awareness and love, are known, experienced, and manifest as one and the same thing. So I want to explore that theme tonight. The Buddha once famously said in a conversation with his very uh, trusted uh, attendant and cousin Ananda, when Ananda came to him excitedly one day about some insight he had into uh, kindness and friendship and metta, and he said, um, I I realized that that friendship is half of the spiritual life, this quality of heartfulness. And the Buddha said, no, 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 you've got it wrong again, Ananda. It's the whole of the spiritual life. It is the whole of the spiritual life. This friendly, 
this this friendly attitude and relationship to life that includes friendship, but it's more than friendship. It's the essence of the spiritual life. So that is a, you could say a koan. What does he mean by that? What does he mean that friendship or friendliness or warm-heartedness is the whole of the spiritual life? In the same way that the Dalai Lama might say, my religion is kindness. What does that mean? My religion is kindness. It's a beautiful phrase. What would that mean to live that? And I've seen as I've walked this path for a long time now, and the more I walk this path, the more I do this practice of awareness, of mindfulness, I see that what the Buddha was speaking to is ever more true. That so much of life comes down to at the end how we are as a human being, how we relate to each other, how we show up for each moment with care, with loving presence. And certainly when we look back and, you know, many of the regrets that we have in life are because we weren't able to abide in that kind-hearted presence. I remember talking to my father recently, who's 77 now, and he's saying, when's your new book coming out? I said, oh, not till November. He didn't read my first book, so I have no idea why he's interested in the second. (laughs) He thought it was a good thing, you know, he's proud, but he didn't read it. (laughs) He doesn't read books. And he said, oh, I said, so why, why, are you, why are you asking? I said, well, I really want to read it. I said, really? <laughs> I said, why? He said, well, I just, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm, you know, there's, there's things that I'm really reflecting on and really um, kind of having a hard time with in, in you know, coming to terms with the choices and decisions and, um, you know, ways that I've been. You know, and there's those times in our lives when we look back and we reflect, often with remorse. And so the book, as you know, is, is a book about the inner critic, and so he's wanting some tools to work with the ways that he's beating himself up for that, which of course isn't helpful. Um, but we do, or we can. So, so certainly the, the longer I walk this path, the more that I see that it, it, it's so simple. You know, just as I've heard from many, many friends who work in hospice, who work in end-of-life care, and people looking back in their life review and asking, did they live well? Did they live kindly? Were they loving? Were they caring? Did they forgive? Not how much money they made, not how many successful mergers and acquisitions they completed, but were they kind to their 
family and friends, employees. And I used to think in my sort of hubris of youth, because I started as a young man, I started practicing when I was about 19, that I was going to get enlightened. I was going to get enlightened and it was like enlightenment or bust. And I was, you know, like really determined, willful, uh, headstrong, <laughs> arrogant, <laughs> stupid, <laughs> but really passionate. And I wanted to get enlightened, whatever I thought that was. I wanted, which is really, I wanted to get away from suffering. And I heard enlightenment would do that. So I wanted to get enlightened <laughs> so I wouldn't have to deal with the pain of being human, basically. Guess what? It didn't work. <laughs> And, you know, life teaches us lessons, and I have my own lessons to learn, which I've talked about in other places. But eventually had to, instead of transcend out of my experience and body and life and pain into some nirvana realm, I had to come into this mortal coil, this body, this heart, this life, this trauma, this pain, this whatever... I was carrying, as we all do. We all have to enter that journey. And I began to see that the, the journey uh, was not about transcendence, so that it wasn't the completeness of the journey, although there's a place for transcending, that the completeness is in the fullness of how we meet ourselves and life with loving presence. We com- the complete allowing and acceptance and surrendering into that. So there's one of my favorite lines from the sixth Zen patriarch who was a one of these sort of key figures in in Buddhist history, um, key figure in, in Chan, Chinese Buddhism, that influenced Zen. And, uh, did, and he said, um, do not say that awareness and kindness are separate. One can't arise without the other. Awareness is the foundation of kindness. Kindness is the expression of awareness. Awareness is the foundation of kindness. Kindness is the expression of awareness. This is a very beautiful, very deep um, uh, statement. Awareness is the foundation of kindness. Mindfulness is the foundation of kindness. So we may take some time to reflect, what does he mean by that? What does it mean that awareness, which can seem so, can seem cool, clear, detached, not words that we think of related to kindness. How is that the foundation of kindness? And how is kindness the expression of that awareness? The fusion of those two qualities 
it allows a much deeper merging into meeting this experience called life. We, we obviously need awareness, mindfulness to be present, to know, to experience what's happening. Okay? A mind, heart, body, life, relationships. And the quality of kindness or care or warmth or friendliness or love allows a much deeper mm, embrace of that experience or ourselves. This is a reading from Linda France. I'm looking down, looking at the color of sky falling through trees, dreaming the real, tasting what it feels like to love it. Why did it take me so long to let go? Simply exhale, so the day could breathe itself in and open me without standing in the way. Why did it take me so long to let go? How could I forget the grace of my own body, strong as this blue, tender as the white of the wild blossom, warm as the midday light? Let me practice a patience bold enough to hold every weather, trusting the elements, the beauty of rain, all of its shades of gray. I want whatever's real to be enough, At least it's a place to begin and to master the art of loving it. Feel me love, feel it love me back under my skin. I want whatever's real to be enough, whatever's here. At least it's a place to begin and to master the art of loving it. Feel it love me back under my skin. So awareness, as we've been exploring these last few days, allows us to to have an understanding, a clarity, a knowing, an attentiveness to what's here. We know it intimately. And the love allows us, as she was pointing to, to soften into it, to soften into the belly of experience to know it much more intimately and fully. Because with love, there's no resistance. There's surrender, there's allowing, there's receptivity, there's openness. So if you think about an experience maybe you've had this week that was difficult and how you may have met it with attention that was not so receptive, right? Just think about last time you were feeling your knee pain <laughs> or your backache or your shoulder burning or whatever, wherever that was painful. Right? And notice the difference between how you meet it when we recoil and contract versus how we meet it with warmth with compassion, with tenderness, where we can soften into it and allow it and melt into it. It allows that experience to be much more fully here. Not so easy to do, but possible.
So I've shared this experience, uh, not here, the places where um, I talked about going through a period of anxiety, uh, sort of an anxiety attack is slightly the wrong word, but it was an anxiety phase in my life where um, for various reasons I was in some pretty intense panic and, and anxiety and very deep, very rooted in my body, very, very kind of young anxiety some years ago. And as anybody knows who suffers from anxiety, it's not easy to be with. Anxiety is one of the hardest things to soften into because the very nature of it is agitating and restless and you just want to not be there and you want to jump out of your skin and it's really hard to, to yield into because it's so, it feels unbearable at times, especially when it rises to the panic level. And, um, you know, like a good meditator, I tried meditating it away. <laughs> you know, I tried awaring it away. I tried mettering it away. I tried, you know, I tried to get rid of it because who wants to hang out with anxiety? It's really difficult. It's unpleasant. But it went on day after day, week after week, month after. It was long, long time, this phase. And... Um, this big knot here in the solar plexus where anxiety likes to, you know, squat, hang out. And, you know, over those months, I, you know, I had, the, the, the doorway in was through. Right? We always look for the way around, over, under, you know, but the doorway is through. And the doorway through was melting into it mostly by softening and relaxing and loving the the softening everywhere else around the anxiety was was a, was a way to hold it with love, and it was the love eventually that that was imbued in the awareness that allowed the anxiety to settle enough where i wasn 't fighting with myself, but that takes a while it takes practice I mean, i 'd been practicing a long time by then more than twenty years. And still, you know, you know, you never know what's going to come out. Life circumstances triggered this particular difficult phase. So, in the Satipatthana teachings, in in, in, the, in the Buddhist teachings, we were asked to pay attention to a lot of things: to the body, to pain, to pleasantness, to unpleasantness, to our mind, to our emotions to the changing nature of things, to the aging and decaying and uh, fragile nature of the body. Not easy to do, as you've discovered. Not easy to hang out with ourselves without distraction. But so much easier if there's warmth or care or kindness. or Attunement. So normally what happens, as I've talked about some, when we have a difficult experience, when our body's hurting, our heart is aching, usually we add more fuel onto the fire. Often we can't do much about the first layer of pain, right? The physical pain, we have a body, it's going to have painful, it's going to get injured, it's going to get sick. Where the teachings are teaching us to look is where we add to the suffering. How do we add to our 
to the suffering in life. Through our reactivity, through our judgment, through our blame. The Buddha called it the second doubt dart, the second arrow. We have the arrow of, say, an injury or grief from a loss of a loved one. And then the dart, the second arrow is, God, why can't you do better than this? You should be over that sorrow by now. Why can't you get a get your body together so you're not in pain? Well, no, 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 right? We add all these layers of harshness and cruelty. We can be very cruel to ourselves. And so we, we get pushed back up against the limit of our kindness over and over and over, where our limit is to feel compassion, right? When, that, when your knees start burning in the sitting, is the first thing that arises compassion? <laughs> Probably not, right? No reason why it shouldn't be the first response, but it's probably not. Right? When we hear of a loved one, like someone in our family or a dear friend who's in distress, right? often the first response is compassion. With ourselves, not so. With ourselves... We're harsher, we push, we judge, we strive, we repress. So how I think of practice often is we're just simply coming to terms with our humanness. And we're learning to meet the fullness of our humanness. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with countless people meditators, yogis, and the like, whose suffering is based around some idea of how they should be, some idea of how their practice should be, some idea of where they should be now after meditating for such and such a time, how it should look, as opposed to simply meeting where we are. And that that approach is very simple, but not so obvious. It's so, it's, so ob- it's, so, it's so here, we overlook it. It's so, it's so near, we, we can't see it. It's so simple, we think it has to be more complicated. It's simply meeting our humanness as it is, in a way that we can do a little easier sometimes with others. All the ideas and views, especially spiritual views and Buddhist views and whatever other views you have about how you should be and what your life should be like, as opposed to how is it right here? So I want to read this poem. I haven't read this one for a while. This is from Marie Howes, a lovely uh, American poet. And um, she's writing to her brother, Johnny, who died of AIDS when he was in his 20s. And it's about meeting humanness. She says, Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the drainer won't won't work, but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again. Skies a deep, headstrong blue. The sunlight pours through the open living room windows, 
because the heat's on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, thinking, and I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again, and later when buying a hairbrush. This is it, parking, slamming the car door shut in the cold, what you called that yearning, what you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not call, a letter, a kiss. We want more and more and more of it. But there are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say in the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep from my own blowing hair, my chapped face and unbuttoned coat that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you. So I always find that poem very touching, just the humanness the crusty dishes, the car door slamming shut in the cold air. Right? And then she's walking down the street you know, with some presence and she sees a reflection of herself and, she, and her heart blooms, cherishes so deep from my unruffled hair. Right? That's the mess of humanness. Right? The loss, the longing, the messiness of life and the love, the love in the middle of it all. So that's what we're invited to do. Can we find a loving presence in the middle of whatever your life is and whatever the mess of your life is? Because life generally looks more complicated than on TV. (laughs) You know, it's fraught with all kinds of challenges relationships, money challenges, whatever the challenges are. Dealing with this election and all the horrendous bigotry and xenophobia and pettiness and often the worst of human nature broadcast on the screens every night. It's, it's a sad indictment of our political culture and all the implications for that for people. So like with everything, this compassionate presence that we're developing begins at home. How do I meet this? How do I turn to this experience of life and all the rawness and juiciness and tumult? And what practice is doing is this this practice of being on retreat, this mirror, we're sitting in front of the mirror basically without any escape from ourselves, which is why at times it can be so challenging because it's not easy to hang out with ourselves. We don't do that in our lives. We get busy, we get productive, and we focus on everything else except this. But how we have our relationship to this is affecting everything else, including our relationships with everybody else. So you're invited to turn. And I'll talk about that in a moment. This is a poem from Hafiz. He says, Don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. 
Don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deep. Let it ferment and season you as few human or even divine ingredients can. Something missing in my heart tonight has made my eyes so soft, my voice so tender, my need of God absolutely clear. Don't surrender your loneliness or whatever your version of loneliness is. Let it cut more deep. Let it ferment and season you. Which means let yourself hang out and be in whatever it is you're in. Not out of masochism, not out of inflicting more pain, but so we get intimate with our experience. What is, it, what is my experience of loneliness or sadness or regret or existential angst, angst or you know, just all the various things that you've spoken to in the groups? And that, that, that poem that I read this morning, the spirit of uh, Rumi's poem of, of you know, welcoming, right? welcoming our humanness. Welping, and it means welcoming our vulnerability. Right? One of the key parts of practice in becoming an integrated human being is to welcome our humanity, which means welcoming our vulnerability. And vulnerability is not so comfortable. The nature of vulnerability is uncomfortable. Unless we're comfortable with being uncomfortable. We can get comfortable with vulnerability if we don't need, if we're not attached to certainty. Not attached to having it all figured out. And if we're not attached to this idea that vulnerability means weakness, which is nonsense. Vulnerability actually takes a lot of strength and courage to hang out in what's really our true nature, which is vulnerability. Being human is vulnerable. You could die tomorrow. You could die before this retreat ends. Any one of us could. We don't know. Unlikely, but possible. Or we could get a diagnosis next week when we go to the doctor of some horrendous thing. We don't know. There's vulnerability in that. Barely a month goes by that I don't hear of a dear friend, a loved one who has some terrible diagnosis these days. And I'm sure you have many friends too. So this, this life, this practice is inviting you, how do I meet this? How do I meet this moment? How do I meet this vulnerability? How do I meet the fragility of life? How do I meet the beauty and the preciousness of the full moon rising? And it's so Gorgeous, I can barely stand it. Or the smell of the pungent bay trees exuding, singing after the rain, and so delicious it burns the nose. How do we span this range of life that's both horrific and tragic and beautiful and sublime, and also mundane and tedious? It's it's quite a life we walk through, this range. And as we, and as we grow in our in our in our understanding, and in our maturity, we actually feel more of that range. We feel the beauty. We feel the profundity, and we feel the utter tediousness and meaninglessness at the same time.
So as you're going about your days here, notice in, with, your, with your mindful attention what and how you're meeting experience. Are you meeting your experience of the breath or the body or sounds or feelings or thoughts with an agenda? I'll be with, I'll be with this knee pain as long as it goes away. I'll be with this heartache as long as it becomes happiness at some point. Does it have an edge? Does it have a judgment in it? Does it have a should in it? Does it have some kind of standard of how your experience should be compared to your teachers or your colleagues or your peers? Does it have coolness in it? Disdain a mild rejection of experience. I noticed I, that was true for me for a long time in practice. There was sort of I was being with it, but I was also sort of like a slight aversion to it. Does it have coolness in it? Or does it have welcoming in it? Does it have judgment in it? So much of our attention is flavored with judgment. If only it was a little different, a little better, a little smoother, a little softer, a little bigger, a little deeper, whatever. Does it have impatience in it? Sign me up for that instant meditation society. This is too long. Someone was saying today, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if I'm getting the insights. You know, this is a slow process. This journey is slow. Hate to break it to you, but it's slow. <laughs> Life is slow, kind of. We can have radical insights that have breakthroughs that transform our lives, but the integration of them is usually slow. So back to this theme of integrating mindfulness and metta, of awareness, awareness and kindness. So I'm going to ask you a question. So what quality does a moment of awareness have? Just shout out, what qualities, when there's awareness, what quality is also present? Or my, I can say the same for myself. What, when we're mindful, what quality is present with attending to that? Brightness, spaciousness, receptive, huh? clarity, peace, excitement. What else? When we, when you're getting close to your experience, what other qualities are present? Curiosity. The isness, right? Yeah, the isness, suchness. Ah, the emptiness. Uh huh. Aliveness. Aliveness. Just enough. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting close to what I'm intimating at, but it's okay. Well, that's that's good. So, um, and what's present in a moment of love? A moment of unconditional love. Emptiness, a knowing and an unknowing. Joy, open, connection. Welcome, radiant awareness. <laughs> oh, he's looking for the gold star over there. <laughs> Unity, yeah. Acceptance, forgiveness. Connection, yeah. attentiveness. Right. So we see there's a lot of overlapping things, right? Connection, intimacy. Knowing, allowing, receptivity, brightness, right? 
the qualities of love, the qualities of awareness, actually, my experience, almost one and the same thing. I mean, that, that line from the, that I quoted earlier, awareness is the foundation of kindness, kindness is the expression of awareness, they're, they're like, they're, they're, they're sort of one and the same, but they have different expressions or different parts of a continuum. This is um, a couple of writers who are speaking to the same theme. This is from Joanna Macy, who was just teaching here last week. Wonderful, uh, uh, wise elder in our lineage. She says, the Dharma path strikes me as profoundly erotic, which is not often said about Dharma path, but anyhow. Uh, Buddhism teaches you to pay attention, and if you mindfully put your attention on anything, you find love arising for whatever it is. Anything you put your attention on, it reveals itself to you. Just another quality, this loving presence. When we put our attention, loving attention to something, it allows a revealing and unfolding. It's from Mary Oliver. She said, there's nothing in this world if I can pay attention to long enough that doesn't cease to foster wonder and love. If there is, I haven't found it yet. And you might find that as you're in your time here, as you're walking and you're just noticing just a step, just a very mindful, gentle footstep, or you're noticing this song, song, sound of a bird, or the shininess of a leaf, or a snake slithering into the grass. And you find, you know, you're curious, and there's awareness, and, and, there's, and, and you just find yourself falling in love, you know, with a blade of grass, you know, the light on your teacup, or, you know, the, the slant of rain, right? because in that, in that when it's as, as, John, as Mary Oliver says, when we pay attention to something long enough, we are heart can open to it, potentially. And where, as I've said, these qualities are so important is when we come to meet those difficult places. And we all come to meet those difficult places. And... Um, as uh, a Tibetan um, fable, or I'm not sure if that's the right word, fable, mythological tale prediction, um, talks about the, in this time, which is the time we're living in, um, that a spiritual warrior is, is needing two things in the armory. And it's the weapon of, Slightly wrong, odd word, weapon, but the the tool of uh, of awareness and the tool of compassion. That we need these to navigate a difficult, painful world which we are living in. I remember um, the, somebody over there spoke this afternoon about. I forget, it reminded me of the story of working with a woman on the East Coast uh, who was a um, farmer, young farmer. And uh, she was talking, she was, it was this, this was a loving kindness retreat, doing, so we doing a lot of metta. And as often happens when we do metta, 
often what we feel is not this loving, gushy heart, but just a rock, a stone, hard, cold, numb, icy, for her, she, and I said, well, just let's do guided, we did the guided imagery, and you know, she felt into it, and it was, it was like, she said it was a walnut, this hard, dense lump in her heart. And I said, okay, so that's where we're starting from. So can we bring loving presence to that? And just, you know, through the days, you know, as you're doing your metta and kindness to yourself, just, you know, put your hand on your heart, feel the walnut, feel the dense, the hardness, and, and whatever else is in there, coldness, and so she did that for a few days and came back and um, she was in a much different place. And uh, what she said was, you know, she'd been uh, you know, attending to that place with, with presence, with a kind presence. And at, at some point she felt like there was melting started happening, just lots of tears and the tears felt like rain that were falling on the the seed with the walnut, which is a seed. And over time, uh, it started to crack open and there was this little shoot, this little tender shoot of life starting to come out of the, the walnut that was a, a, a sign of uh, healing, a sign of, of uh, some softening towards herself. Right? So that hard nut that we often carry around in us, heart, belly, throat, you know, we can soften it with loving presence. Not to get rid of it, but to melt into it, to allow it to unfold. Okay. So I'd like to read this piece um, from a Zen teacher called Darlene Cohen, who was lived with a um, degenerative um, illness that was very painful. And yet still she taught for, for many years, I think even decades, th- with this illness. And she writes, People sometimes ask me where my own healing energy comes from. How in the middle of this pain and slow crippling, how can I encourage myself and other people? And my answer is that my healing comes from the very despair and terror. I dip down into it again and again and flooded with its healing energy. Despite the renewal and vitality it gives me to face my deepest fears, I don't go willingly when they call. I've been around this wheel a million times. First I feel the tug. First I feel a despair, and I deny it for a few days, Then its tugs become insistent in proportion to my resistance. Finally it overwhelms me and pulls me down, kicking and screaming. It's clear I'm caught. At last I give up to this reunion of this adjustment to my pain and loss. Immediately the release begins. First peace and then the flood of vitality and healing energy. I can never just give up to it when I first feel it stir. You'd think after a million times with a happy ending I would give it right away and just say, take me, I'm yours. But then I never can. I always resist. I guess that's why it's called despair. If you went willingly it'd be called something like renewal or something hopeful. It's staring defeat and annihilation in the face that's challenging. I must resist until it overwhelms me, but I've come to trust it deeply. It's enriched my life, informed my work, and taught me not to fear the pain. So what I love about that story is it's, you know, it's, it's not linear, right? It's not, oh, I'll you know, melt into this pain with kind attention and then, okay, got that figured out. Next, okay world suffering, bring it on. No, it's like she goes through it, 
healing. And then the next week, fear comes, despair comes, oh, contraction, resistance, and then at some point we surrender. That's why pain is such a powerful vehicle and so transformative because it forces us, it takes us to our edge over and over. We have to keep surrendering, keep melting, keep loving. That's where we do our work. So the good news, this is possible. You know, I think of the Buddha as the first neuroscientist. He didn't have access to fMRI machines, but he knew about neuroplasticity. Right? He was the first neuroplastician, I would say. In his, his line that I love, he said, that which the mind inclines towards frequently dwells and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of the mind. That which we frequently do becomes our habit, becomes our inclination. And if we've, you know, we might have had a lifetime of resisting judging and, 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 and shaming ourselves for our pain or our sadness or whatever. And we can always start today with a different attitude. Kind, caring, loving, presence, etc. So we all have this possibility. Happiness is available. Please help yourself. What are you choosing? What habit are you developing now that will strengthen in the future? What we're living now is a result of the past. What we can live in the future is depending on how we choose now. Do we choose reactivity and judgment or do we choose kindness and care? Which side are we strengthening? So there's a couple more things before I wrap this up. So in, in, this, in the line, in the spirit of this, this seeming choice, one of the things that I see happening uh, in my own experience and in others is through this practice, we learn that we have to turn in. We have to turn towards. We have to open to the difficult, as well as the joy, of course, which is easy to do, easier to do. But this, there's a turning where we stop running and we actually face our experience and challenges and our existential angsts and whatnot. Right? And I see this as a, as a pivotal point in someone's practice where they stop trying to fix and blame and hide and reject and actually turn and welcome what's here. Turn and welcome who we are, even if that's a, a messy who we are. So this is a poem that I wrote some years ago about this turn. It goes, Your only duty is not to run from here, from this. Even if the hold of loss burns deep in your belly, and on waking you feel the dread of walking into the day naked, exposed. You could try pretend, you could pretend try putting on a face other than your own. But that's a game that's never worked and burns a deeper hole inside the pocket of longing, making the shell you've chosen to live in even more hollow. But there are times when there is no choice but to surrender, to turn towards the loneliness and empty places within, 
that you've spent a lifetime running from. And embrace them with delicate hands of love, the way the evening fog envelops the solitary tree, without flinching, pressing into and loving every gnarled crevice, every twisted branch, and the forgotten needles fall into the ground. This is the first step that begins the slow journey of completeness, keeps inviting you deeper into the roots of yourself, claiming your place that has been waiting, that is always right here. So each moment we're invited to turn towards, to this, to here, to this moment, with a kind presence. And then as we learn to do that here, of course we can bring that quality outwards. What's going on here is a direct reflection of how we meet each other, how we meet the world, how we meet the suffering of a stranger or a loved one. So what this practice builds is capacity, it builds courage, it builds strength to meet the difficulty that we meet with each other. What we're afraid of in here, we're going to be afraid of out there. What we reject in here, we're going to reject out there. I, I saw this over and over in my 15 years as a therapist and then as a coach, and I see it also in, in my teaching. What I can't tolerate here, I'll have a harder time out there. The more I've done my work here, it's not a problem out there. Those people we're having trouble with, take a look inside because they're just reflecting ourselves. And then we learn to bring this quality of loving presence. It's more available. We can be more responsive, more caring, more kind. And there's plenty of opportunity in the world, to, plenty of need that needs responding to. So I'm going to um, maybe close with this story which I think is a lovely expression of how when we, when we you know, as I say, when we've, when we've done our work meeting this, there's a responsiveness that's more accessible, a kindness that we lead with. So this is a story um, from, the, uh, it's from the servicespace.org project, a wonderful organization dedicated to generosity and service. So this woman writes... I haven't held a job since April 2011 due to multiple health issues. I currently draw disability, but I'm having trouble finding money at the end of the month. So I decided to look for a part-time job. I've been applying and interviewing since July with no prospects. This past evening, it was freezing cold outside, going on 9 p.m. as I was waiting at a city bus stop. Just as the bus pulled up, a young woman walked to the bus stop. She had a t-shirt and flip-flops on and several hospital bracelets. I asked her name and if she had a coat or anywhere to go. She quickly told me she had lost her apartment because she would lost her job and then got very sick and was put in the hospital. She had no family in the area and didn't know where she was going to sleep that night. I dug in my purse and took out some bus tickets and $5 so she could get something to eat. I then took off my jacket and tennis shoes and gave them to her. I said these are a little big, but they should keep you warm. She looked at me and said, aren't you going to be cold? I told her for me being cold for 15 minutes until I get to my place is worth it if I know you'll be a little warmer wherever you end up. She cried and thanked me with a hug. I just told her to pass it on. Then after I got on the bus, that's when the miracle of spreading kindness happens. 
I stepped up to the f- pay the fare, and the bus driver says, Ma'am, I saw what you just did, and your fare is on me, even though technically we aren't supposed to let you get on the bus without shoes, he said with a wink. I went to sit down. This lady who was dressed in a very professional business suit calls me over to her seat. She says, I want to know the name of the person who just did the most inspiring thing I've ever seen. I told her my name, and she's like, what can I do for you to give back what I just witnessed? I jokingly said a paying job would be nice. She said I might be able to work something out. She asked for a number. She called me the next day. It turns out she works in HR, and she ended up getting a job. And you know. But the point of the story is just the simple responsiveness, just this life, human suffering, and you know, when, when there's open, when there's that combination of presence and kindness, that's what flows out of the heart. Right? Responsiveness, care, no thought, just, here, take this, take that. So let's sit together for a few moments. And just feeling wherever you are, what is here. You know, when you maybe listen to a talk like this, there's reflections about, hmm, here's the ways that I, that I can open to myself. And, and oh, here's there's many ways that I'm not really so kind or so caring about. Maybe I disregard my health or I work so hard, I'm fatigued, or I, you know, just neglect some of my, you know, heart's needs for love or play or... Um, maybe I'm simply cruel with myself, with my thoughts and my judgments. So just noticing where you are as you bring that loving presence to yourself. Can we meet this moment just like this? Loving, radiant awareness. Thank you for your attention. Time for some walking. Please enjoy the gorgeous rising moon. It's very beautiful. Soak it in. And we'll come back for our, our last sitting. Thanks. <laughs>